Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, an update on Wasika's bid for reality TV greatness, Monster Jam, comes to Minnesota, and a great gift idea for the Minnesota hockey fan in your life. But first... It's been a busy week in politics, and MNN's Bill Werner is here with a recap. Well, yes, I am, Scott. Let's start out with Enbridge's planned upgrade of its Line 3 pipeline through northern Minnesota. A revised environmental impact statement released this week concludes it is unlikely that a full rupture would result in oil flowing into Lake Superior within 24 hours. The EIS says the sinuous configuration of the St. Louis River would likely cause the oil to accumulate on its shoreline and not reach the big lake. Nancy Knorr with the group Jobs for Minnesotans says... We find these results to be both comforting as well as favorable. Did anticipate um, minimal, if no risk to Lake Superior watershed. Very eager to now resume the remaining public process to move this project forward. But Andy Pearson with the environmental group MN350 says... There's still huge flaws with this project, and this revised study didn't change any of that. It just identified more issues. And Pearson says the revised EIS found... Worst case spill would be 500,000 gallons of oil um, over just 24 hours, and that, that it would go 20 miles. The public comment period on the revised environmental impact statement runs through the 6th of January. There's a hearing in Duluth next Thursday. 29 state senators, all the Democrats in the Minnesota Senate except three, announced this week they are forming a new caucus to push for clean energy and fight climate change. North Mankato Senator Nick Frentz. The emails I get asking me to take action on climate change are about 20 to 1 in favor of what we're doing here. And I got a pretty good idea that around the state, uh, Minnesotans are starting to wake up to the realization that this is a real issue. And we need to address it. We asked Senate Democratic Minority Leader Tom Bach how participation in a clean energy caucus squares with his support of Enbridge's Line 3 pipeline. I think we're moving to more electric vehicles. That's coming. They're coming down in price. Because this is really about cars. right? Until we decide to quit using cars, <laughs> we're going to need petroleum. Uh, but as we move to cleaner cars, more and more electric, and it becomes more affordable, uh, I mean, I'm hopeful that we'll need less fossil fuels. Analysts say Bach is backing the Clean Energy Caucus because Woodbury Democrat Susan Kent is challenging him for the minority leader position, and Bach needs more metro area support. He responds a decision on a clean energy push was made well before those developments. Kent says she's undecided whether she supports Line 3. State Senate Republicans got a progress report this week from new Commissioner Jody Harpstead, roughly 100 days after she took the helm at the troubled State Human Services Department. Ham Lake Senator Michelle Benson asked why former Inspector General Carolyn Ham was reassigned instead of being fired. How are we going to get comfortable that you are really looking for top-tier talent when somebody with that level of controversy is being retained? Benson added a lot of Minnesotans would be fired if they performed the way some people did at the State Human Services Department. Commissioner Harpstead responded, It's hard to justify firing someone for doing the job they were given if they weren't given the right tools to do them. Benson fired back, When you have six layers of management and nobody's checking, that's not because resources weren't available, it's because people didn't know how to do their job. 
An unusual thumbs up this week from both sides of the aisle as House Democrats and the Trump administration announced agreement to move forward with the president's replacement for NAFTA. And a broad spectrum of interest groups is also supporting the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal. Minnesota Farm Bureau President Kevin Papp says the USMCA modernizes and improves on NAFTA. Strengthen our science-based rules, uh, take care of some wheat grading issues dairy access that we've had some concerns about. And Minnesota Chamber of Commerce President Doug Loon calls the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement an excellent example of bipartisan work, something he says we don't see enough of. Brings certainty to the marketplace and allows supply chains to become reestablished and reinvigorate um, the trading partnerships that we have with Canada and Mexico, our largest trading partners. This week, Senator Amy Klobuchar, in her bid for president, hit 10% for the first time in an Iowa survey of Democratic hopefuls. Carlson College analyst Stephen Shearer says future polls will tell whether her momentum is building. And Shearer says next week's sixth Democratic presidential debate is a big opportunity for Klobuchar. Because that indicates, at least visually, that she's made the short list. And that also will give her more debate time with a less crowded stage. Klobuchar is still well back from frontrunner Joe Biden's 23% in the Iowa poll. Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg are close behind Biden in second and third place. But Elizabeth Warren dropped to fourth. She has only 12% in the Iowa poll. And this week, the longest-serving state lawmaker in Minnesota history, Representative Lyndon Carlson from Crystal, announced he is not running for re-election. Felt that, well, maybe it's time to retire when you feel really good about what you've done. I'm far from burned out. I'll be here for another 13 months. Carlson, who's 79 years old, is in his 23rd two-year term and was first elected to the Minnesota House of Representatives in 1972. What I was doing in 1972 is a topic for another program, maybe. Scott? All right, the life and times of Bill Werner, circa 1972. Tune in for that next week. More Minnesota Matters right after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Now we have an update on a story we first brought you this fall. Reporter J.W. Cox tells us about the latest in Wasika's bid for the reality show Spotlight. 
Scott, in early December, producers from the show Small Business Revolution visited Wasika. They're trying to determine the five finalists who will go through a public vote process to be featured on the show that provides small business expertise and funding to towns who need a boost to grow their local economy. Wasika Economic Development Coordinator Gary Sandholm told me since they were named a top ten finalist, city leadership has been as proactive as possible. Putting together a very strong marketing campaign for Wasika with you know with the anticipation that we'll make the top five. If uh, if we don't, uh, hopefully we can reuse that uh, work that goes into it for other projects. But uh, we are looking uh, looking at it very optimistically. We feel we've got a good story to tell, and uh, we want to be ready to uh, hit the ground running when they announce the top five cities. To be a finalist, it's clear that there already have to be some positives to build on for small businesses in the community. What do you see as the strength of Wasika when it comes to small businesses? Looking at uh, what has been happening over the past two or three years especially, uh, we've got some uh, turnover in business ownership. Some businesses have transitioned uh, to new owners. Uh, Others are pure entrepreneurial startups that uh, have been uh, taking hold, having good traction. The Connecting Entrepreneurial Communities Conference that we hosted uh, along with the University of Minnesota Extension in September really brought out a lot of the uh, entrepreneurial uh, possibilities of Wasika. Uh, we've been seeing, uh, we have quite a number of specialty shops for a community this size. Uh, about a week and a half or two weeks ago, they had a fall open house that had uh, stellar success, a tremendous number of people coming into town. And uh, these small retailers that in the past have been pretty much independent, uh, and, you know, realistically with any group of people, you'll have some that, uh, maybe don't get along well with some of the others, but they found common purpose, and it appears to have paid off. As you look at the development that is becoming a finalist for the show, how do you kind of characterize why that is such a positive development for the small business community in Wasika and what that can mean to the community as a whole? Just the national attention of getting in the top ten is something that most communities the size of Wasika will never ever see. Uh, going beyond that, if we would win the grand prize, there will be a lot of direct support to a number of small businesses from uh, Deluxe Corp, from the Small Business Re- Revolution. Uh, that is something that can help people maybe avoid a few missteps, solve a few problems. Uh, take some bigger strides than they otherwise might have been able to or even thought possible. It will also help with some, uh, probably some freshening up of the uh, appearance of the business district. Uh, Our business district overall is not bad. Uh, When you walk or drive through Wasika, it is not a bad appearing community at all, but there are places that could use Linden TLC, and other places that uh, maybe have been remodeled, and you might want to take the uh, remodeling that was done in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and help restore a storefront to what its uh, classic appearance was back when the buildings were built, you know, around the turn of the 20th century. 
there are many things that uh, could come out of this. A lot of it will depend on what the people of Wasika want to make of it if we get the opportunity. What is it going to take from the community, from the surrounding area, to get Wasika to the finish line in this competition and be able to put the best foot forward? First of all, we have to sell ourselves to the small business revolution. We've got to get into the top five. If we make it into the top five, then it becomes more of a popularity contest, and we will want people from all over the state, all over the Midwest, all over the country to uh, read Wasika's story, hear it, hear what we have to say, and vote for Wasika. Make sure that the word is getting out. We'll probably need to be spreading some of the word try and have a really solid game plan that we can execute and keep on top of if we need to modify it, change it, whatever, uh, make the changes and, uh, and move forward. As somebody who lives and works in Wasika every day, how would you describe Wasika's story to someone from the outside? Wasika is a neat community. Uh, it's got two lakes, uh, which is not unusual. You know, in Minnesota, it is very unusual in most other places in the country. We have a fairly attractive main business district. Uh, education is very important in Wasika. This past year, we completed a major renovation for the high school, uh, adding a new performing arts center. The school system is known for having good academics, good arts, and very good athletics. So it's a very well-rounded school system, a place where young families can come and live and the kids will come out uh, quite well-rounded from their uh, K-12 experience. We're in a uh, nice part of the country. The people are great. We realize we have a strong agricultural heritage, but we're also a place where uh, as new things are coming through, you know, this is a place where people could see all kinds of things happening in the next 10, 20, 30 years. It's a, it's a neat place to be in this in the world. Five final cities expected to be selected sometime in January. Scott, back to you. Thank you for that update, JW. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Monster Jam roars its way into U.S. Bank Stadium this weekend. I spoke with second-generation driver Adam Anderson about the family business, how it feels to drive those monster machines, and whether fans might be in for a few surprises. Well, that's the best part about Monster Jam. Every time is a surprise. Uh, you could have the same format of the show. You could be doing the same competitions, but you never know what to expect. Um, it's, it's unscripted, it's just wild, crazy action, and I'm just along for the ride. And also, I think the fans are too. They get to see a new show every single time, whether we have brand-new tracks, we have brand-new trucks, um, you know, and, and right now, this is kind of the last show for the season, but it's also it's the kickoff for the new season, so it's, uh, it's really exciting for all of us. Tell me a little bit about the machine that you'll be behind the wheel of. What, what exactly will you be driving? So uh, the Gravedigger Monster Jam truck is 12,000 pounds. It's 10 foot tall, has 1,500 horsepower, and, man, it's a, it's a wild ride, that's for sure. It, it's basically like a roller coaster that the track just ends. It, that's, that's my best way of describing it. It's a total adrenaline rush, but sometimes there's a crash at the end. 
And Adam, for those who are, are not familiar with uh, Monster Jam, tell me a little bit about what the competition is all about. Um, the competition, so what it normally starts out as, um, actually before the show even begins, we have what is called the pit party. You can come out before the show starts, meet all of the drivers, see all the trucks up close and personal, get down on the track and see how massive these jumps are. But once that ends, it's, it's showtime, and we, we go into the show we have the racing portion of the show where all 14, 12, 14 trucks will compete head-to-head uh, in a bracket style of racing to crown uh, the racing winner. Then you go into the two-wheel competition, which is not very old. Um, it's one of the newer competitions that we compete in where we don't just ride these things around and do wheelies. We now are balancing them on the front wheels, riding them on the sidewalls of the tires, doing all these stunts uh, with a 12,000-pound machine that is unbelievable. Um, but then that just is the beginning of the, all the action, which leads into uh, everybody's favorite portion of the show, which is freestyle, where you get to see these massive trucks go out there and compete against each other to crown a winner doing unbelievable stunts, tricks, uh, backflips. Um, and sometimes, like I said, there, there could be a wild crash, but uh, because of what the safety of these trucks we're good to go. We're just along for the ride in there and putting on one awesome show. And this is kind of a family business for you. Tell me a little bit about that and how you became involved at, a, at an early age. Um, so my father created Gravedigger in 1982, and, and I wasn't created until 1985. So this has been my entire life. Um, and uh, I grew up in the sport from the very humble beginnings to what it is now with these massive, uh, just high-tech, uh, unbelievable machines that are able to do all these tricks and stunts, but uh, I also have got to grow with our fans, with the families, um, multiple generations of fans coming to our shows to, to watch us compete, and, uh, and, and it's a true honor, and it actually it feels really good uh, to grow up, and we came from nothing uh, to, to what the empire of Gravedigger and Monster Jam is today. And my understanding is that you will be competing against your brother at this event here in Minneapolis. What's that like? Yes, that's honestly, that's, that's very rare. And I do, I have a, a, my, my younger brother, uh, Ryan. Um, he will be there in the son of a digger truck, uh, and we'll be competing head-to-head. Um, and the way we kind of look at it at the beginning of the event, uh, and the racing portion, if we're not, uh, you know, if we're not racing each other, we're kind of a team, and we want to take out all the other guys. But as soon as we, as soon as we are attacking the track uh, with the other, uh, each other, then it's over. Uh, we want to beat each other so terribly bad, and uh, and and it's really cool. My sister actually, uh, she drives too. She's the first female driver of Grave Digger. Now uh, she just competed at another event this past weekend. Um, but it's a, it's a rarity for Ryan and I to compete against each other at a Monster Jam event. They kind of separate us. They want to spread the love across the world. Uh, and so it's really fun for, you, for us to be able to come together and compete. Adam, when you're getting ready for something like this, is there any amount of fear? Because it seems like this comes with, it's got, there's got to be some danger built into this. Tell me a little bit about how you prepare. Um, you know, it's, it's really we're so safe inside of those trucks that my fear is not to be injured and, um, and, and, or any of those sorts. It's my fear is that something's going to happen to the truck and it won't be able to compete. There's so many uh, moving parts on this vehicle that it's, it's hard to keep up with, but we have an awesome crew. And as long as that truck goes, I, I'm like a warrior. I'm at, I'm at battle 
in front of you know fifty thousand, sixty thousand people, I don't care what happens. I, I'm down there and I'm I'm here to put on a show and I want to win in front of all these fans. And tell me what kinds of uh, mental adjustments you have to make when you're just an average driver stuck in traffic. Do you have to do you have to reset your mind in any particular way to drive in situations like that? I feel like I'm very fortunate that uh, that I have the job I have because I don't have too much road rage. I think I take it out on the track, and so when I'm on the street, I think I drive like an old man sometimes. My wife may yell at me uh, while I'm riding down the road because I'm going too slow or I'm letting people pass me or whatever that case may be. And uh, But every once in a while, I'm not going to lie, that I, I maybe go over the top a little bit with a little bit of road rage, but it's not terrible. I, I take it out all, on, all out on the track. Thanks again to my guest, Adam Anderson. And don't worry, if you miss this weekend's Monster Jam, they'll be back in Minnesota in February. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast, F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911, F-A-S-T. Face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. With the holidays fast approaching, a new book out this month could be a nice gift for the hockey fan in your life. MNN sports correspondent Kevin Falness has all the details as he's joined by the book's author, Dan Myers. Yeah, it's that time of season. Everyone's looking for a stocking stuffer, and I think I got a good one for hockey fans, wild fans, or any of the above. It's called 100 Things Wild Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. It's written by Dan Myers. He joins me now, and we're uh, here to talk a little bit about it. Dan, thanks for uh, joining us. Your A job is the beat writer for Wild.com following the Minnesota Wild. Your other job, apparently, is writing cool books. How'd you fall into this one? Authoring books, right? Yeah, that's like a two-year project that you have there in your hands uh something i'm really proud of took about a year and a half two years to write uh, a really cool opportunity to catch up with all kinds of characters from the game uh current members of the wild former members of the wild and not just wild but you know high school players uh, you know college guys uh you know places to go around the state places to you know watch games places to eat it it, it really is an all-encompassing a book about hockey in Minnesota. It was a lot of fun to write. It, we are in the state of hockey, so I would think this would be relatively easy. Is it easier said than done, though, to come up with 100 things that are are, are interesting and tangible to put out, down from paper to pen? You know, that's an interesting question, because when I was pitched the book uh, by Triumph Books as my publisher out of Chicago, the books they sent me were uh, the 100 Things Canadians fans and 100 Things Blackhawks fans. And those two franchises are like a combined 250 years old, and they have a million championships. So those were easy. Uh, when I first started putting the list together, I got you know a little a little 
nervous, I guess, just because the, the franchise hasn't even been around 20 years. There hasn't really been, other than the one playoff run in 2003, the long run. But they allowed me to incorporate some North Star stuff. Uh, some again, some college stuff, some high school stuff, some characters of the game that aren't necessarily wild related. And once we got to that point, then it did become difficult, but it was a lot of fun. I'm going to name a couple of names that I see in this book that were my favorites to read about, and you give me a couple of yours that were your favorite to go and look into and and then to track them down. Uh, my favorite name in here is Jacques Lemaire. When it comes to hockey, here, there, or anywhere, Jacques Lemaire is on my Mount Rushmore, especially when it comes to the Minnesota Wild. What was it like to to write number five, Jacques Lemaire? No, well, it was fun, and uh, it was a neat chapter for me just because I didn't get a chance to work with Jacques. You did. Um, so I, I, my perspective of Jacques is as a fan, someone who, you know, grew up, uh, was 16 when the wild came into being. So I have that perspective of my late teens and early twenties as someone who watched Jacques coach, uh, remembers him from back in his days with New Jersey and don't need to tell you just one of the all time great characters, not just in wild lore, but in hockey lore, one of those guys you could sit and listen, talk for Hours and hours on end. That was fun. Another name that jumps off the page for me is Derek Bougard. Uh, when I think of Derek Bougard, the boogeyman and all that came with him, the theatrics of that guy on the ice but off the ice, just a teddy bear on your list of 1 to 100. He's number 27. And one of those guys that, again, I didn't get to cover him, never met him, unfortunately. But what was fun for me was listening to his former teammates talk about him, guys like Wes Walls, guys yeah. like Andrew Brunette. Just, just an all-time great personality, and someone that you know. Ten years after the fact of, of playing in Minnesota and leaving Minnesota, and unfortunately leaving leaving this earth far too soon, someone who is still beloved by those guys that he played with. Yeah, and like I say, off the ice, just a teddy bear. On the ice, that stare that he had only rivals what Miko Koivu can do to you if you try to ask him a dumb question. Couldn't uh, be any more opposite, right? right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So those are a couple of my favorites. What was your favorite as far as this book goes? My favorite part of that whole book, and it doesn't really count as one of the, the 100, but I love the foreword that was penned by Andrew Brunette. Very good. Um, super good. Just tells the story of how he came to... No Minnesota, as someone who had never been here before, uh, flew in on the team plane with the Atlanta Thrashers and looked out the window of the plane as the team was descending into MSP and saw all these outdoor rinks and outdoor you know, lights on and parks and things like that and immediately knew it was someplace he wanted to play. As it turned out, the following summer he was a free agent. He signed here. Um, just, just really a heartfelt part of the book for me, Andrew told the story himself and it really is wonderful yeah it's cool you know my running joke with Wes Walls is whoever I'm talking to at that moment that's one of my five favorite players in the history of Minnesota Wild Hockey Andrew Burnett is definitely on that list though he's definitely in the top five as is Derek Bugard as is Wes Walls as a matter of fact well it's three great guys right there and Burnett like you said for sure a big part of that book just because of the goal he scored in game seven in 2003 Uh, super helpful with the book uh, just reminded me, I got to send him a copy of that book. I got a chance to catch up with him for the first time down in Florida on the Wilds' recent trip there. And I know he's looking forward to getting that book. Andrew Burnett, number 70 in your list, of 1 through 100. Um, it's too bad you can't put his the audio of his laugh in these pages because that's the only way it could make it better. You mentioned that he's going to get a free one. If fans are out there and they want to stuff their stockings with 100 things wild fans should know and do before they die, authored by Dan Myers, how would they best get their hands on it? Well, if you prefer Amazon, you can purchase it on there. You can go to barnesandnoble.com. 
if that's how you like it. If you like to go buy it yourself, you can go to any Barnes & Noble location in Minnesota. You can stop by the Hockey Lodge. They have it here. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter, at Dan Myers, and we'll figure something out. Outstanding. And that's also where you could find out where you're going to be signing these books, right? Yep. We've got a few signings coming up here. So, at Dan Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. Follow along there, and you'll get all the updates you need. Dan, thanks for doing this. Happy holidays, and congratulations on a wonderful job. Same to you, Kevin. Thank you. That's Kevin Falness with hockey writer Dan Myers. And that's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.